Good morning, everyone. Morning, Phil. There we go. We're coming in. Good morning, everyone. Hey, there we go. Ooh. Welcome. Uh, if we've never met before, my name's Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central, and uh, we're continuing our summer series, Proverbs, Wisdom That Works. And so that's what we're going to jump into this morning. It's a great privilege to open God's Word this morning, but it's a great privilege to be here with you. I love gathering with our church, and what a great time in worship, and then uh, celebrating with Sadith and Osha. I would encourage you to go to our Facebook page and watch the videos uh, from Friday. It was, a, it was a great time to be there with them, and I encourage you to come out uh, today at 5 and celebrate, celebrate with them. No one, knows to party, no, no one knows how to party like the Ahukas know how to party, so, right? So if you want to party and learn how to party, then, then jump in today at 5, all right? So... Proverbs wisdom that works. This morning I want us to look at the topic that Proverbs covers more than anything else. Uh, we've kind of had two introductory uh, messages from Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 9 that hopefully set the stage uh, for the rest of the series. And from now on, uh, we're going to be looking at those verses that you probably think of the most when you think of Proverbs, kind of those one-liners that are on various uh, different topics and they kind of bounce all around. Uh, they could be talking about uh, marriage, and then all of a sudden they're talking about laziness, and then all of a sudden there's a, a picture of a gold ring in a pig's snout. Uh, so it just kind of bounces around. So Mark and I will kind of collect those and, and be preaching about various topics. When I read Proverbs, I think of it more uh, like, like Gary Gallant than Joe Crummy, right? <laughs> Because you're just kind of bouncing here and there. Neither of them are here, so I can make fun of both of them <laughs> at once, right? But if Joe wrote Proverbs, it would be like Proverbs 20. Here are all the verses about marriage. And it goes through, right? But when you read Proverbs, it's like a conversation with Gary. It's like we're talking about this, and then we're bouncing over here. And then, oh, I just had this crazy picture about a gold ring and a pig's snout. And it's pretty much like a conversation with Gary. And so... Mark and I will hopefully gather those together and uh, bring some, some order to it and, uh, and preaching on various topics throughout the summer. So this morning we want to look at the, the topic that Proverbs covers more than anything else, uh, more than money, sex, family, work. Proverbs has the most to say about, oh, maybe I'll let you guess. Anyone want to guess? Wisdom. What's that? Pride. No. What's that? Words. There we go. We got it. More than anything else, Donna's bang on. Proverbs has more to say about us, uh, to us about anything else. Our words. Our words. There are over 90 Proverbs giving us counsel on how to speak. A study by a university in the States found that on average we speak about 16,000 words every day. Some, you know some people that probably that's double, but that's, <laughs> that's average, 16,000 words per day. And today, some of us, uh, we communicate more through a keyboard than through our mouths. And they estimate today that each and every second of a day, there are over 6,000 tweets that go out. So 
6,000, 6,000, just like that. That means that in the two hours that we are here this morning, over 4.3 million tweets will have been sent. Hopefully none by you, right? <laughs> right? Preacher preaching lame Twitter stats. Hashtag, when's the picnic? <clears throat> Whether in face-to-face -face conversations, on the phone, by text, tweets, Facebook, whatever it is, in the run of a day, we communicate a lot. And so we are in desperate need of God's wisdom when it comes to our communication, when it comes to our words. Would you agree? All right, so let's pray, and then we'll jump in and we'll look at uh, what Solomon has to tell us about the tongue. So, Father, we are so thankful for your presence here with us. We're so thankful that you meet with us, that we don't just come to an empty room, gather together and sing some empty songs and listen to some empty words, uh, but your presence is here. Your presence fills us, and as we gather together as the temple of the living God, we know that we meet with you in a special way. And so we're so thankful for what you've done already and the way that you've been speaking to us, the way that you've been challenging us, the way you've been encouraging us. Uh, so thankful for Sadith and Osha and the way we get to celebrate as church family. We get a glimpse of what it means to live in community uh, as your people. And so, Father, uh, we just pray now as we come to your word, as we open it up, uh, we want to learn from it, but we just don't want head knowledge. We want our hearts to be changed this morning. And so we do ask that you would come, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you want to say to us this morning. We pray that you would change us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so words are powerful. Words can change the course of history. Words like I have a dream, or Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, or unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They are huge, history-shaping words. And words can change our lives as well. Words like, I'm so proud of you, or you'll never amount to anything, have the power to affect the whole trajectory of someone's life. And many of us this morning are probably carrying wounds of things that have been said to us or about us. Many of us as well can probably think of words that have been said to us that have built us up and have encouraged us. Proverbs 25:11 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I have no idea what that means either, but it need, it's probably a good thing, right? <laughs> apples of gold in a setting of silver. Who knows? But it's a good thing, a word fitly spoken. Some of the greatest good I've ever done has been through my words, whether it's up here having the privilege of talking to you guys about the Bible or encouraging someone or praying for someone or saying, I do, on May 13th, 2006. My words have done good. But sadly, when I look at my life, I see as well that probably the most damage I have ever done, the most hurt I have inflicted, have also come through my words. My mouth has mocked people behind their back. My mouth has spread gossip. My mouth has said angry things to my wife. My mouth has discouraged my children. 
and I have on many occasions opened my mouth wide and casually inserted my foot, right? Our, wor our words have done a lot of good and our words have done a lot of damage. And as you see on the screen, Proverbs 18:21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that for a minute. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'll get Dave to put the next slide up. Does anyone know who that guy is? Any guesses? Darren is just going through all the pictures in his head. No? Despite looking like the picture of every man taken in the 1800s. <clears throat> can you just look angry over there and we'll take your picture or draw your picture. This is uh, Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel was the Swedish chemist, engineer, inventor. He held over 355 patents, uh, the most popular of which is dynamite. And Nobel was a pacifist, and he created dynamite to be used for mining and to build bridges, roads, and railways. Dynamite had a tremendous power to build. But it didn't take long, as we know, for dynamite to be used as a tool for massive destruction and death. And one time, a French newspaper mistakenly uh, published Alfred's eulogy, and he got up one morning to eat his breakfast, and he read the title in the paper that said, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. So let alone the shock of reading your own eulogy over your cornflakes, Alfred was very troubled by how the world thought of him as the merchant of death. And so he used the rest of his money to set up what we know as the Nobel Prizes. But Alfred Nobel and dynamite, it really gives us a good picture of what Proverbs tells us about our own words. With our tongue, just like with dynamite, we can see a powerful force that was created with the potential to bring so much creativity and productivity and life and development, but so often used for destruction, chaos, and death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12.18 says that rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The same instrument that can be like an ointment, soothing, healing others, can bring sharp, cutting words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me was not one of Solomon's 3,000 proverbs because it simply is not true. You guys can put the verse back up so we don't have to look at Alfred the rest of the time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We see this to be true right at the beginning of humanity's story. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we read of God speaking creation into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it brought life. God used words to create, to build, to form life. God's masterpiece, the creation of man, 
and woman unlike any other created thing. He made them in His image and He gave them speech like Him. The first words by Adam recorded in Scripture are a beautiful poem about His new bride. But then when we get to Genesis 3, we see Satan come and use words against Eve. Words of deceit to bring about disaster to the human race. He spoke with evil intent for the purpose of bringing death. So right in the first three chapters of Genesis, we see death and life are in the power of the tongue. So now, the problem for us is that while the tongue holds that immense power, we lack the power to hold our tongues. While the tongue holds that immense power, we lack the power to hold our tongues, don't we? We try, but we cannot control them. And this lack of self-control when it comes to our words, it can ruin our marriage, it can ruin our families, it can cost us our jobs and our friendship. You blow up at your kids, continually interrupt your wife, constantly nitpick your husband, flirt with a coworker, spill a company secret, and the results can be disastrous. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he calls the tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. And in James 3.9, he observes that we can bless God with our tongues and then turn right around and curse men and women who are made in His image with our same tongue. Or to put it another way, we can sing worship songs to God on a Sunday morning, and then as soon as we get in the car, find ourselves yelling at our kids furiously. Theoretically speaking, of course. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Solomon certainly understood that destructive power of our words, and throughout the book of Proverbs, he often writes about the many harmful things we can do with our tongue. And so we're going to go through a few of those before we come to a resolution because we need to see the full impact of what is meant, especially when it says that the power of death is in the tongue. What The power of death is in the tongue. And so Solomon points us to a few things. One of the harmful ways we can use our words that Solomon highlights is contentious or quarrelsome speech. Contentious speech is speech that loves to stir up conflict. It's a simple thing, but just think about it for a moment. Quarrels don't just happen. Quarrels don't just happen. People make them happen with our words. Quarrels don't just happen. People make them happen. I know Angela used this analogy in a positive light, but I'm going to put another spin on it. When we were camping uh, a few weeks ago, one of our favorite things is just sitting around the fire after the kids have gone to bed, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I was with the McGuigans and the Surgeoners, and uh, just sitting around the campfire talking, but after a while, the fire goes down, right? And it starts to get cold, and so you get up and you poke it, you stir it up a bit, you throw some more logs on, and then you get a nice raging fire. We enjoy it. We warm ourselves by it. And Proverbs 26:21 says, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. 
And so the contentious person enjoys conflict. It's the person who sees a situation where things could get heated, and so they get up and they poke it, and they stir things up a bit, and they throw some logs on with grumbling or arguments, some more logs, some more kindling of criticism, whatever it might be, and then they sit back in their camp chair and they warm themselves by the fire. Proverbs 17.19 says, Whoever loves sin loves a quarrel. Whoever loves sin loves a quarrel. Whether it's sports, movies, politics, religion, just give them an argument. Of course, there are honest disagreements and healthy debates and agree to disagree situations, but that's not what the Bible means by quarreling. Quarreling at least in Proverbs, at least to Solomon, is unnecessary arguments. They are unnecessary arguments. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It is an honor of a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. So they're unnecessary arguments that an honorable person stays away from. All of us can think of someone we know who is like this, but unfortunately we see this all too often within the walls of the church as well. We see it in the person who defends every conviction with the same degree of intensity, and so they argue about what ages should be in kids' church as if the physical resurrection of Jesus was on the line, right? They never talk about secondary issues because there are no secondary issues. We see it in the person whose first instinct is to criticize and their last instinct is to encourage. And we see it in the person who never thinks the best of someone who assumes that everyone is attacking them. And so Gary's prophetic word was directed right at me. Jody made those changes in kids' church and it was a shot at me. And so when everyone's attacking in response, they live their life in constant attack mode. They're always in the trenches ready for a fight. And life is a war, but not everything is a battle against you. G.K. Chesterton said, we have to feel the universe at once as an ogre's castle to be stormed and yet as our own cottage to which we can return to at the evening. All right? So if you're living your whole life and it just seems like you're always storming the castle, you might be what Solomon calls a quarreling person. Solomon advises us to be aware of quarrelsome speech. He also warns against things like gossip and slander. So gossip is revealing a secret while slander is defaming someone's reputation or mocking them. Proverbs 11.3 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. And Proverbs 16.28 says, A whisperer separates close friends. So this past year, one of our daughters experienced this on an elementary school playground. Uh, she has a very close friend, but then another little girl whispered that her best friend wasn't, her, wasn't really her best friend and was in fact this girl's best friend, and it's all rumors and whispers with the intent of separating friends. with the intent of tearing people down and tearing people apart. And if sweet little girls on the elementary playground are capable of that, 
then what are we capable of? In fact, oftentimes in the church, we can love gossip and slander so much that we can adopt them and we can bring them into the home and to help them fit in a little better, we give them a new name and that new name for gossip and slander after we adopt them and bring them in, we often choose prayer request. (laughs) Well, I guess we really need to be praying for him. Oh, you didn't know? He's really gone off the deep end. Really, the only difference between a genuine prayer request for a brother or sister and gossip and slander is the motive of the heart behind the words that are said. We gossip and slander out of revenge, out of jealousy, or out of just the pride of wanting to be in the know, wanting to be the dispenser of news. You heard it here first. If we're honest, we get a little bit of a thrill of telling somebody something they don't know about somebody else. And so we're very good in the church to cover that up as a prayer request, but really it's just the thrill of being the person who's in the know. Solomon writes in Proverbs 20:19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Another thing Proverbs points us to is deception. Solomon sometimes gives illustrations and examples. Other times he's pretty straightforward and simple. And so when he talks about deception, Proverbs 24, 28 says, Do not deceive with your lips. Period. And 12, 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips. And so deception can be embellishment, exaggeration, half-truths, omission of facts, intentional misrepresentation, and even truth in jest. 26, 18, and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. You say something that hurts someone's feelings and then you try to cover it up and minimize their pain. And so you say, come on, joking. But really you meant what you said. Deception destroys. It destroys friendships. It destroys trust. It destroys careers. Maybe some of you remember being baseball fans in the late 90s, early 2000s. Cyril's with me. It was a magical summer in the summer of 98. It felt like every record was going to be broken. It was awesome watching Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in the home run race. I was caught up in it. Uh, But then uh, it seemed like every player was caught using steroids. And then it seemed like every single player denied using steroids and lied about it, and then it seemed like all those players who lied eventually, even if it was 15 years later, said, oh yeah, I did use steroids. And so what was one of the most magical times, at the time it was like baseball was right at the top. What was seen then as one of the most magical times in baseball is now looked upon as one of the darkest times in baseball. Mark McGuire cut me deep. I was all for him. He was like Paul Bunyan at the plate. And then, ah, got me. Sadly, we see a lot of deception 
in professional sports. But it's not just McGuire and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens that do this sort of thing. Uh, we all do it. We all have at one time or another left out details or exaggerated or bent the truth in order to come off looking better or stay out of trouble. Ad adults lie to their boss about being sick so they can stay home from work. Teenagers lie to their parents about where they are going and who they're hanging out with. Children lie about sneaking out to the kitchen in the middle of the night and smuggling Halloween candy back into the room to have a late night sugar gorge, even when you throw the pillow back and you discover the hoard of Kit Kat wrappers underneath. Theoretically speaking, <laughs> of course. One of my favorite shows on TV is Cops. I'm fine to admit that. And probably the most heard line on Cops is, these aren't my pants, right? <laughs> these aren't my pants. What's that in your pocket? These aren't my pants. What's that bag in your backpack? That's not my backpack, right? What's that gun under your hat? It's not my hat, right? <laughs> That's what we do. We exaggerate the truth. We leave some of the truth out. We blame others. When we know we are at fault, we are all using deceptive words to manipulate a situation. Ultimately, we lie because we want something and we think that distorting the truth will help us get it. Maybe it's that we want freedom from the consequences of our actions. Maybe it's that we want the praise and approval of others. Our deception reveals that we are looking for satisfaction and joy in something apart from God. Our deception reveals that we are looking for satisfaction and joy in something apart from God. The approval of others is far greater to me than the approval of God, and so I will bend the truth, I will leave out facts in order to get that approval from others. Closely associated with deception is what Solomon calls flattery. Proverbs 26, 28, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Flattery is smooth talk. It's the form of manipulation so that you can get what you want. You praise someone not as a genuine compliment, but only so that they like you or that they respond the way that you want them to. 26.23 says, Smooth words may hide a wicked heart, just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. And through the first seven chapters of Proverbs, we're warned over and over and over of the smooth words of the adulteress. And according to Solomon, the number one factor in cheating is flattery. Flattery and listening to flattery pulls your heart away from your spouse. Flattery and listening to flattery pulls your heart away from your spouse. But even outside of romantic relationships, we see flattery in the worker who says just what the boss wants to hear in order to get the promotion that they were looking for. Proverbs condemns the use of our words in order to gain admiration or advancement. Proverbs also condemns bragging. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own mouth. Many of us know people who always try to turn the conversation back to them. They are never happy in others' accomplishments because they're too busy 
talking about their own. Bragging is almost a virtue today, it seems. Bragging in sports is commonplace. Every player thinks they are the best and are happy to tell every reporter that asks. We have books and articles that advise us to toot our own horn in order to advance in the workplace, and we have leaders who happily live it out for us. They have the best everything. But we're not too bad at bragging ourselves, are we? In fact, I find that we're so good at bragging about ourselves, we've developed some techniques where we can boast about ourselves, but hopefully not come across as boastful to the point where, where it's obnoxious. And so we boast in cool ways where people can praise us for our accomplishments and praise us for our righteousness and our humility. Okay, so I would call this water bacon-wrapped water chestnut bragging. Have you ever had a bacon-wrapped water chestnut? No? One time I went to a party, they had bacon-wrapped water chestnuts. I thought it was bacon-wrapped scallops because it's a white thing wrapped in bacon. It was bacon-wrapped water chestnuts. And so our bragging it can, in the church, it can be a bit like bacon-wrapped water chestnut bragging. Just stay with me and you'll see, okay? <laughs> so a water chestnut by itself, everyone knows that is not acceptable food for a party, okay? <laughs> if I just came with a plate of water chestnuts and I was like, here, Steve, welcome to my party, everyone knows that's not appropriate and it's disgusting, okay? But wrap it in bacon, there we go, right? And so in the same way, we know that just declaring how awesome we are is not appropriate, and it's disgusting, right? It would, <laughs> offend, it would offend people. But if we wrap it in some false humility and all glory to God, and then that is our nice bacon layer, and there we go, perfectly fine. And so if you just tweeted... I'm awesome, I went to the gym and benched 275 pounds, it wouldn't go over well. So you know what we do instead? We instead tweet, such a frustrating time at the gym today, still stuck at benching 275, I don't know if I have what it takes to reach 300, right? <clears throat> it still has the water chestnut of, I'm awesome, I went to the gym and I'm super strong, but it's wrapped in a nice bacon layer of false humility. In the same way, everyone knows that just posting a whole bunch of people read my blog and I'm super popular wouldn't be appropriate. But if you add a nice bacon layer of religious jargon, then it comes off a little nicer. So, so humbled. 3,000 people read my blog today. All glory to God. Right? <clears throat> much better. Much, much better. And so it's pretty, it can sneak in in our hearts that are so twisted, we are so often guilty of bacon-wrapped water chestnut bragging, okay? I'm guilty of it in my own life, and you are too, okay? Solomon says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. In all of these things, quarrelsome speech, deception, slander, gossip, flattery, bragging, we would do well to take Solomon's advice, not just in our face-to-face -face communication, but we would do well to take it in now more than ever 
in what we say online, in our texts, in our tweets, in our posts. And so if Proverbs were written today, Solomon might have written something like this. When tweets are many, sin is not lacking. It is an honor of a man to keep aloof from arguing on Facebook, but every fool will be commenting. Don't waste your characters on trolls, for they will despise even the wisest tweet. Even a fool who doesn't reply is considered wise. When he closes his account, he is deemed intelligent. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrow, and death is the man who shares a link and says, I am only joking. A smooth tweet may hide a wicked heart, and a flattering text causes ruin. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who private messages too much. Let another tweet about you and not your own tweet, a stranger and not your own account. It can be a bit funny to think of Solomon's wisdom in those ways, but it's very appropriate for us today. And there's nothing funny about what comes from these harmful words. The careless use of our words destroy relationships. Solomon has already told us that gossip separates friends, deception hurts our neighbors. And so we can't just think before we speak. Church, we need to think before we tweet, before we retweet, before we like, before we comment, before we share, before we post, before we text. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So how we use our words can bring death to our friendships, to our workplace, to our families, and even to our churches. Growing up as a pastor's kid, 20 years or so, kind of behind the curtain, let's say, I've seen the power of death in the tongue for a church when gossip and quarrelsome speech and deception spread, it will kill a church. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Deception breaks trust. Flattery destroys marriages. Gossip separates friends and hurts feelings. Constant bragging and boasting is annoying. But beyond just tearing down people and destroying our relationships with others, the biggest problem is that harmful speech separates us from a relationship with God and invites judgment. Proverbs 19.9 says that a false witness will not go unpunished, and one who utters lies perishes. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, that we will all give an account for every careless word that we have spoken. The careless words we speak, they not only bring relational death, they bring eternal death as well. And all of us this morning, we stand before God and we say with Isaiah the prophet, Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. But just like with Isaiah, God comes down to us to remove our guilt and atone for the sin of our mouths, our actions, and our thoughts. You see, Jesus was the only person in history 
to never speak death with his words. Jesus was the only person in history to never use his tongue for the power of death. He's the only person who has ever lived who has never opened his mouth in a wrong way. Every word that Jesus spoke was 